So growing up in, uh, in Oklahoma, I had, I had a lot of opportunity to travel on uh, dirt roads. We had a lot of dirt roads in our little rural uh, town. And, uh, you know, dirt roads are great uh, until it rains uh, or the snow melts. And then they become very slick and you can get stuck. Uh, you guys have been on those roads before. You know, everyone drives in the middle and then you kind of get a rut in, in the middle. And then pretty soon the rut's so deep, you got to get out of the rut and another one uh, comes. My dad, I had a 64 Chevy Impala. It was a very cool car, uh, by the way. And um, my dad would buy these mud tires. Anyone ever, ever have a mud tire? Yeah, you're missing out. They were cool. And so we'd put them on. We'd put them on uh, when we knew the rains were coming or when we knew the snow was coming and uh, keep us from getting stuck. But boy, you always get stuck in the mud, don't you? Everyone's experienced that. If you've driven, you, you, you know what it's like to be stuck. You've either been stuck in the mud or stuck in snow. Either way, when you're stuck, it's a frustrating thing. Really frustrating. Because when you're stuck, whatever plan you had, that stopped. Wherever you were headed, it doesn't matter anymore. You, 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 are, you, are, you are stopped when you're stuck. You're stuck. Being stuck is not always caused by snow or, or, uh, or mud, is it? Sometimes it's caused by life's challenging circumstances. And we get spiritually stuck. A health issue many of you are going through. A job situation. Relationship that, that kind of that brings us to a spiritual halt. Sometimes, even as believers, we veer off the road. Uh, we get stuck in sin. Giving into adulterous affair, pornography, same-sex attractions, gossip, critical spirit. Sometimes we just flat get lethargic. I mean, just really not that interested in moving forward in our Christian life at that point, and we get stuck. Sometimes we get stuck in fear, paralyzing our forward motion. Sometimes we get stuck in confusion, wondering how or why 59 innocent people are killed and over 500 wounded by a 64-year-old millionaire with no criminal record. Some, some stuff just doesn't seem to make sense, and we get stuck in the senselessness of it all. Whatever causes us to be stuck, we would all agree with this, is a dangerous spot, isn't it? And it's a vulnerable spot. So today, we want to look at some remedies to be unstuck spiritually. What can we do to move from being spiritually stuck to back on a road and doing what God has us to do? Take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews. We're going to continue our study through this book today. We come to Hebrews chapter 11 where we will learn how we can be injected with a dose of fresh faith. By the way, we are studying, drilling down deep on Hebrews chapter 11 on Wednesday evenings. If you're not involved in a, already in a Wednesday evening class, you are, you are um, welcome to join us. To this point, we've looked at Abel and Enoch and uh, Noah and Abraham and Sarah. You can watch all those lessons online and uh, we'll look at uh, Abraham and Isaac uh, next week. But what I want to do today is just to, to drill down on five principles that we've been learning as we kind of do an overview of the book of Hebrews, five principles of fresh 
faith. Five principles of fresh faith. Let me set the context before we start. Um, In chapter 10 of Hebrews, uh, the writer is writing to a group of people, he says, who have gone through persecution. They have gone through suffering. They have been imprisoned. They have been uh, dragged before uh, in a public arena and ridiculed. Uh, Some of their uh, stuff has been plundered. People have come into their homes and grabbed their stuff. They've been through that. And now they're getting ready to go through that again. Persecution's coming. Sometimes when we go through something the first time, I mean, it's hard, but then if we know it's coming the second time, we think, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that again. And so the writer, knowing that, says, we are not those who shrink back. We are those who live by faith. If we're going through it the first time or the second time, we are those who stand strong in the midst of challenging times. In fact, he says, I want to show you, I want to tell tell you about some people in the Old Testament who stood strong, who lived by faith. And chapter 11 is chocked full of people who live by faith. In fact, 16 people are mentioned by name. A group is mentioned, the prophets, and then three events, the creation, crossing uh, the Red Sea, and then uh, the walls of Jericho that came tumbling down. And through this, the writer is saying, man, here are some stories of real faith. This is what it takes to live a life that truly pleases God. So what I want to do is start with a description of faith from Hebrews 11.1, give a definition of faith, and then look at these five fresh faith principles. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let's break that down. First of all, when we look at the word faith, it is a word used in its noun form and its verb form and its adjective form 260 times in the New Testament. So when you're reading the New Testament, we need to know what faith is because we're going to see it, and it simply means to trust or believe. Now, the writer doesn't leave us with that. He continues to describe what that is. But before we get there, the rest of the verse, I want us to make sure that we understand when we think of faith, we need to think of faith in two ways. First of all, uh, if we can get that blank screen, first of all, we need to think of saving faith. We'll see that in uh, this passage. The righteous will live by faith or through faith. That's that time when I come to my life, a point in my life where I can't, I realize I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do to have a relationship with the living God. I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner to the core. I can't work it enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't give enough. I can't do a CCD class. I can't do a confirmation class. My baptism doesn't do it. I cannot work my way to God. And so I trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only way, I believe in him, I trust in him as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. That's saving faith. That is one time for all time. After we become a Christian, God puts us on his journey, right, until we go to heaven. And there are ups and downs, and there are challenges along the way. And every day, he says, you've got to trust me. It was great you trusted me on Monday, but it's Tuesday now, and you can't live on Monday's faith. That's called daily faith, or we could call it 
practical faith. And that's the faith that we're going to see in Hebrews. These people had the saving faith. It was a one time for all time. But now they go through things in their life and we're going to see this aspect of saving faith. Okay, back to our description in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So faith is the assurance. That's a great word. That word, if, uh, depending on what version you have, uh, sometimes it's translated confidence. Sometimes it's translated substance. It, it, is, the, it is the assurance. It's the comp. We know that we know that we know of things hoped for. And that's a great word. Hope for is not some desire I have or some wish I have. The word here for hope is a, a certain expectation for the future anchored in the past. A certain expectation for the future anchored in the past. How do I know that God is going to provide for me tomorrow? Because he provided for me yesterday. How do I know God's going to get me through this situation? Because he's gotten me through situations before. Hope is a certain expectation of the future anchored in the past. Hope, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That word conviction means to prove by test, to demonstrate, to do it. Assurance is here's what I know. I know it's a certain. Conviction is I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it. Faith is not just saying I believe. Faith is acting out on what I believe. And I love the word things here. Can't see it in the English, but in Greek, that word means a thing done, an accomplished fact. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we could just take that description and put this definition with it. It would be this. Faith is this, working definition. An active trust displayed by obedience. An active trust displayed by obedience. You can't say, I believe God, I love him, I love to come and sing the songs and then live a disobedient life. That's not faith. It just doesn't work like that. Are we going to fall along the way? Absolutely. But if disobedience becomes a habit of our life, we are not living a life of faith. Okay, five fresh faith principles for getting, getting unstuck. Here's the first one. Fresh faith is fed by giving God my best. Fresh faith is fed by giving God my best. Look at chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, when you see a, um, uh, an event in the New Testament or a name in the New Testament, the writer is saying, I'm just putting this name here, but you should know everything that goes on in that person's life or that event. That makes sense? So if I said... Hey, man, if I, if I know you're a fan of a certain team, and I said, that was a great game yesterday. We won't be talking about the Oklahoma game, but that was a great game yesterday. That's all I'd have to say, and you would know all about the game. You would know the, the score. You would know how people scored. You would know all about the game, but all I would have to say is that was a great game. That's what the writer is saying. Hey, what about Abel? And the readers should say, oh, yeah, I know all about Abel. Well, if we don't know about Abel, then we got to go back 
to the source, and the source would be Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. You know, Adam and Eve had two sons. First one was Cain. They had more than that, but their first son was Cain. And then they had Abel. Cain was a, a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Normally, what do we do? We go right to the Cain story. You remember that? God says, hey, Cain's sin is crouching at your door, ready to take you over. You can overcome it. Cain kills Abel. So that's usually what we go and focus on. But the writer here says, time out. Let's go back and look at Abel. Cain brought this offering from the fruit of the ground. He was a farmer. You'd expect that. Abel brought this offering from the, from the flock. He was a shepherd. You'd expect that. But it wasn't about the offering. It was about his attitude. By the way, it's never about the offering, is it? It's always about the attitude. So when Jesus, only time he mentions how much money a person gave was that woman giving less than a penny. It was her attitude. Here, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. That means Abel brought the fattest of the firstborn. In other words, he brought the best of the best. You know why he did that? Because he knew that's what God deserved. God deserves our best. Abel, way back in Genesis 4, understood what we now see throughout Scripture is four principles of giving, four principles of bringing our gifts to God. One, God owns all things. Do you believe that? And be careful saying that because saying it and doing it, hang with me. God owns all things. All things are a gift from him. If he owns all things, right, I have nothing unless he gives it to me. All things are to be used for him, not for me, but for him. Thankfully, he provides all I need, but worship is giving back to him, and giving is an act of worship. Abel understood that. He gave God his very best. What we give is an expression of our heart, and what we give exposes our heart. That's the story of Abel. His heart is exposed. He brought his very best to God. He didn't wait and see what he had left over. He said, that is my most valuable offering, and I'm bringing it to God. When I was growing up in our church, I don't know why we did this, but we had this thing called a missionary barrel. Anyone have a missionary barrel at their church? It's a plastic, actually just a plastic can of some sort. And on a given day, uh, we would uh, bring stuff for the missionary barrel. And so we would bring, what would we bring? Shirts we had outgrown. Maybe a little tear right there. That's, that's fine. Um, you know, tennis shoes that the tread had worn out a little bit. So I could always bring my Converse, high top Converse uh, tennis shoes. Those are cool. They're back in style now too. It's cool. Taking them out of the box and smelling them. Oh man, that was awesome. I can still remember that smell. But anyway, we'd bring those, tread worn out. We'd bring, we'd bring our old stuff to the missionary barrel. It's crazy, wasn't it? We shouldn't have done that. But a lot of people have a missionary barrel 
philosophy when it comes to giving to God. God, I'll take care of all my stuff, and I got a lot of stuff to take care of. I got a couple cars, and there's a cable bill, and I got a lot of necessary things in my life. But if there's anything left over, I promise you'll get some of it. Missionary barrel. And that exposes our heart. Because giving is an expression of our heart. Some people are stuck in their spiritual walk, and it all comes back to their giving. It's that simple. Some people are flat stuck, and it all comes back to our giving. Now, let me say this. If we believe that God owns all things and all things are a gift from him, then the way you use money in your business should have just as much thought and stewardship as the way you want money to be used in the church. There's always this weird thing here. See, people, man, they are movers and shakers in business. They're spending money. They, they, they're bringing in consultants. They're doing all this stuff in business. Man, they're moving and they're shaking. But, man, we don't do that in the church. We've got to be careful with our money here. Yeah, we have to be careful with our money in the church, right? You agree with that? But you should be just as careful with your money in business because all of it's a gift from God. Stewardship is not just church stuff. Stewardship is everything I have is a gift from God. Everything I have is to be used from him. And when we start compartmentalizing our life, we get in a lot of trouble. Second, fresh faith principle. Fresh faith walks with God. I love this story. This is a story of Enoch. Chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So Enoch's story is found. Anyone know a lot about Enoch? No one knows a lot about Enoch, right? His story is found in Genesis chapter 5. We hear a little bit about him in Jude. We know that he stood strong in his generation. But in Genesis chapter 5, there's this, like, there's this bridge portion of genealogy. And it gets you from uh, uh, Adam to Noah. But right in the middle, after everyone, he died and he died and he died and he died. Here is Enoch in uh, 5, 21 to 24. When Enoch lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, there are a lot of godly men who died, but right here in this genealogy of, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, there's just like this freshness of saying, God just took Enoch. He walked with God. I love how Hebrews says it. Uh, he, he was not found. It's like a, it, was, it, it was probably an early day uh, uh, um, unsolved mystery, right? Where's Enoch? I don't know. He was there yesterday. We didn't have a funeral for him. He's just gone. Walked with God. What does that mean? What's it mean to walk with God? We see it throughout Scripture. Wouldn't you like that on your tombstone? He walked with God. She walked with God. By the way, you can write anything on your tombstone, but wouldn't you like someone else to put that on your tombstone? There's a guy named Marcus Dodds. He's an old commentator, and he has some great stuff on this. And, and, and let me just go through this quickly. Dodds said, this is what it means to walk with God. I am God's friend and enjoy his company. 
You like hanging out with God? I'm going in the same direction as God, shown to me in his word. My my love for God and my desire to please him saturates my thoughts. I view my circumstances in light of my relationship with God. I seek God's examination of my heart through the reading of his word. By the way, you can't walk with God and not read his word. You just can't do it. If If you're not reading God's word, if you didn't open God's word from last week until now, you cannot walk with God. Sin causes unrest and moves me to repentance. A lack of fellowship with God results in spiritual loneliness. My relationship with God is not compartmentalized. It impacts every area of my life. I desire to repress thoughts God disapproves. One more. I desire to nurture my friendship with God. Do you desire that? Do you desire to nurture your friendship with God? Walking with God is a lifestyle of faith and it takes time and it takes energy and it takes nurturing and you have to be in his word and you have to spend time in prayer and you have to use your gift. You have to do those five essentials of word, worship, connect, serve, and share we talk about. You have to be doing something, not talking about it, not just absorbing it, but doing something. I had a professor in the seminar, Howard Hendricks. He's a great guy. And he always said, he always said, when I get the urge to exercise... I just lie down on the couch, and the urge goes away. (laughs) There are a lot of Christians that do the same thing, right? When I get the urge to get serious about my relationship with God, I just do the spiritual equivalent of lying down on the couch, and the urge goes away during the football game this afternoon. Fresh faith, number Three, fresh faith principle. Fresh fresh faith stands strong in a culture that opposes God. We see this in all the uh, people in uh, Hebrews 11, but uh, Noah is one. Noah, in verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By the way, for the saving of his household, not just about him, is it? He was serious about saving his household. By this he commended, he condemned rather, the world and, and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Hey, long before uh, Noah built the ark, he was, Second Peter says, a preacher of righteousness. He was standing up in a corrupt and violent society. That's how uh, Genesis uh, 6 through 9 describes the society that, that Noah was living in. It corrupt and violent. Sin was not an isolated incident. It wasn't an event here or there. It wasn't something that just saturated the news. The whole society, there was violence, immorality, exploitation, perversion, depravity, pervaded the lifestyle. People who say, this is, I can't believe how bad it is. This is, as, this is as worse as it's ever been. They don't read history and they don't read the Bible. This was bad. It could get that way, but this was bad. And Noah, people were bad to the cultural core, and Noah stood up. And in that society, Noah was a righteous man. He followed God, not only saving faith, but daily faith. He was blameless in his generation. That doesn't mean he was perfect, but he was a man of integrity. Again, in a violent and corrupt generation. And 
like his great-grandfather Enoch, Noah walked with God. Are you standing strong as a believer in your generation, in your culture? When, 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 you, get ex- when you get convicted about something, do you actually do something about it? You know, I think it's humorous that so many people who are so upset about this NFL flag thing, right? They talk about it all the time. They're writing about it. They're calling in radio shows. They're so upset. And they'll watch football all afternoon. Now, I'm not saying you should, I'm not saying you should boycott football. But I'm saying this. You've got to live by your convictions because the world is watching us. And when we talk about following Christ, but look like we're following ourselves, or we're so tied up in the culture, you couldn't tell the difference. People say, what's the use? Why do I want to get involved in that? It didn't change them any. When our families are falling apart, other people say, what's the use? Didn't, didn't impact them any. When we're involved in adulterous affairs, then our friends say, well, didn't help them any. If we're going to be people of conviction, we have to stand up strong in our generation, in our classroom, in our business, in our neighborhood, in the friends group that our kids are involved in, or soccer or football or baseball or basketball or drama or whatever else. There's got to be something refreshingly different about us. Number four, fresh faith forges through failure. Fresh faith forges through failure. won't take time to read it, but there in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12, is a story about Abraham and Sarah. You know, the story God said to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a, a son, and by that son, you're going to have generations of, uh, of people, uh, as, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. But the problem was they're in their, their old age, and they don't have kids yet. It's a great story of Abraham. You know, God gives him this great promise, but there he failed many times. And he's in Ur. God calls him from Ur. He goes up to Haran. He stays there till his father dies. He goes down to Canaan. There's a famine in Canaan, so he goes to Egypt. Remember what he did when he went to Egypt? He said, Sarah, man, she's a knockout. She's beautiful. And when I get there, those rulers, those Egyptian rulers are going to take her and kill me. So he lied and said, she's my sister. All kinds of consequences to that. Then later on, you remember, Sarah said, I'm not going to have a baby. God's, I don't know what God's talking about. I'm going to shortcut it. Here's Hagar, my handmaiden. Abraham willingly took her. They have Ishmael. Still consequences of that today, right? Shortcut God's plan. And yet, they're still in the hall of faith. Go figure. Faith forges through failure. Anyone here failed? Don't raise your hand. You don't need to raise your hand, do you? Faith says, I'm not going to let failure keep me down. But you don't understand, Ron. I failed so bad. There are, t- there are terrible consequences. God's grace overrules our past. Consequences are still there. Yeah, we've got to live with them. Abraham had to live with his. But he didn't quit. He kept moving forward. Fresh faith forges through failure. Someone said, you know, the old, the old quip, uh, 
uh, failure isn't fatal, right? That's wrong. Failure is fatal if you let it be, if you allow it to be, if you stay stuck and listen to Satan instead of the promises of God. Failure is fatal unless God overrules it by his grace and his goodness and his forgiveness and his strength and his power. And that's what you can do in your life. You can let God overrule all the mistakes of the past. By the way, the whole chapter is filled with people who had mistakes. Man, Noah, after that great building the ark, 150 days, the flood goes up. 150 days, the waters go down. 70 days, it dries. After 370 days of great faith, after however many years it took him to build the ark, some people say 120 years to build the ark. You know what he did? Planted some... uh, Grapes made wine and got drunk. And it wreaked havoc on his family. Noah. Moses. Man, never a prophet like Moses. He didn't get to lead the children of Israel to the promised land. Elijah. He demonstrates his great faith calling down fire on 300 prophets of, of Baal. And then does away with them. Destroys them. Great act of faith. Then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And he ran for his life, afraid. Hid under a broom tree and said, God, come on, I'm done with this. Just kill me and get over with. We could go on and on. David, he had his problems, didn't he? And yet here they are in the hall of faith. Because, because fresh faith forges through failure. God uses broken people. And he empowers them to do great things. Last one. Fresh faith needs tangible reminders. You remember um, after the flood, what God put in the sky? Rainbow took Noah out and said, hey, see that rainbow? That is my promise to you. I will never destroy the earth again by flood, the whole earth again by flood. Beautiful, isn't it? Every time we see a rainbow, we even get our phone and take a picture, right? It's a beautiful reminder of God's goodness, of his promise of his faithfulness that took place way back there in Genesis. So here's what I ask you to do. Here's what I encourage you to do. The rainbow is tangible. You can see it, right? Get some tangible things of, 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 of faith in your life. Things that God has done for you. Things that he has allowed you to get through. And, and, and put that object in your home or on your desk it was like the children of Israel. Remember after they crossed the Jordan, God said, I want you to get leaders from the 12 tribes and they're going to get a stone. And there must have been big stones. He said, I want you to carry them on his shoulders. And you're going to put them in a pile. And then when the kids ask, what in the world is that pile of rocks doing there? You say, I'm glad you asked. I got a great story for you. So what's a tangible thing that God has done in your life that you can say, oh, I'm glad you asked. I got a great story. I'm going to tell you a couple in our, in our family. So anyone know what this is? It's a portion of a, of a break drum. So we grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, Lori's grandparents lived in Kansas. And so Lori's family was uh, uh, one uh, uh, weekend. They headed to, to Kansas. And uh, they had all the kids and the two parents and the kids, all the kids, all the five uh, kids in the car. 
and they were coming back late at night. It was kind of raining. Uh, they had just gone across the Kansas-Oklahoma border. They're on I-35 going south. And a truck in front of them must have hit this thing like this and kicked this thing up. And it went through the front window of their car, all the way through the car, and out the back window. And uh, by God's grace, all the kids at that point were laying down. They would have been, they would have, it would have killed some of them. They were down, and it, wa- it went through the car without hurting anyone. So we keep this brick drum around as a reminder that God's a good God, right? And he is a God who is faithful to us. I have this, uh, I have a few of these. This is a ball and seat. Uh, my dad uh, the, uh, repaired pumps. You, you've seen the pumping units that go up and down. Well, the, there's a pump on that that pumps the oil out of the ground. And he repaired this uh, all, uh, during his career. And so, uh, man, I would go down with him uh, to his shop. And man, I had a blast. I had all kinds of games with these balls, this ball and seat. But, um, but I have this on my desk now. This is cool. You put it on the pump, and then the pump goes down. It disengages, and then when it comes up, it engages and pulls the oil up. And so my dad would, would repair the pumps with the ball and seat, depending on the size of the pump, different sizes of balls and seats. And then when he was done repairing, I was playing off in the shop someplace, and I'd go put my hand on the end of the pump. And he'd say, okay, time to test it. And I'd put my hand on there, and then he'd pull the plunger out the other end. And if I couldn't pull my hand off, then he knew he had done everything right, and the, and the suction was there. So I have this on my desk. It reminds me of my dad. I use it for paperweight, but I use it just to remind me of the faithfulness of my dad. He wasn't perfect, but loved the Lord, followed after him, walked with him. And, uh, and not only did my, I watch my dad walk with God during his life, but with my dad, I got to watch how a believer dies when he found out he had cancer, and then six months later, he was gone. It's amazing when you see someone live, but it's powerful when you see a believer die. This is um, from the Bible chapel. Some of you were here. Anyone here when we did this? Yeah, a couple of you left. I run off most of you, but a couple of you are still here. So this was 1992. Uh, we were meeting in the high school. Uh, we also had our old building uh, back behind uh, Beinhauer. And we had some trailers in, in the township there. They weren't going to let us use the trailers anymore. We had to get some land. We had no money. So we found this portion of ground we're on now, 20 acres. It cost, uh, it was like 1.2 million. We couldn't could touch that. We had 180 in our building fund. And uh, they got it down to 600000 Now, you got to know that this was right after I'd came as an, I had came as an associate, and it was right after uh, the, the senior pastor left, and I had a great gift of uh, church growth. It's amazing to me. I grew the church from 500 to 300. Man, just like that. <laughs> so we were, we were on the, we were on the uh, downward slope here, and uh, we went, the elders went before the congregation, and we said, we found a piece of property. We've got to get some land. And it's going to cost $600,000. And we only have 180. So between now, it was like October, between now and our congregational meeting, the last Saturday of January, like three or four months, we're going to have cash, $600,000. And so uh, our architect, Jim Sampy, who's still our architect, put this thing together. Um, uh, I can't, you don't know if you can see it, but put little, it's, it's the 
outlay of the land, and then he put um, uh, puzzle pieces. He, he, he cut out, he, he made puzzle pieces, and every puzzle piece represented $1,500. And so we had this on a tripod uh, as you walked into the, uh, the school. We were meeting at the school. And every week, man, we'd see another, another puzzle piece up there. And in some weeks, there weren't any puzzle pieces that went up. Another puzzle piece. And it was so cool to see that at our congregational meeting, we put in the very last puzzle piece. God gave us. Yeah, that was cool. God gave us $600,000 right on the money. Now, the elders said later, man, we asked for 600. He gave 600. We should have asked for more. (laughs) What were we thinking? So we have this at starting point. It's a reminder for us of God's faithfulness. So when we get to some situations and we have to make decisions or we have to take a risk or, man, take a risk. Think about that, man. People, people bought land and we, we had no money to build anything on the land. We can look back at that and say, you know what? I can trust God for tomorrow because why? Because what he did yesterday. What's your story? What do you have to put on your desk or maybe the coffee table of your home where your kids or a visitor says, hey, what in the world is that brake drum doing there? Ha, let me tell you a story. We're going to hand this back off uh, to the campuses and each campus will we'll close. And here at the South Hills, uh, Ted's going to come and lead us in a song. Uh, an old uh, old hymn of the faith. I'm going to read some of the lyrics here in a second. But before I do, and as Ted's coming out. So, what, so, so fresh faith means that we don't want to stay stuck anymore, right? So what are we going to do to get unstuck? What are you going to do to get unstuck? You know when you're stuck, what you, what you always want to do? You always want to put the accelerator down to the floor, Right? But that just makes you more stuck. So you can't keep doing the things that you were doing that got you stuck. Right? Isn't that the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same things and expecting different results. So what are you going to do? I, only you can answer that question. And I've not been in the Word lately, but you know, I've really never really been in the Word. And well, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Yeah, this sin, that just drags me down all the time, pornography or gossip or whatever. What are you going to do about it? You know it's wrong. And you know you cannot have fresh faith that you need for yourself and your family, if you have a family, to move forward. You can't stay stuck. What are you going to do about it? We're going to sing this song, Old Hymn. It's a song written for Hebrews, I think, it's written for Hebrews uh, 11. We're going to sing it to the tune of Amazing Grace, but I just wanted to read through the lyrics before we sing them. Give me wings of faith to rise within the veil and see the saints above, how great their joys, how bright their glories be. Once they were mourners here below, and poured out cries and tears. They rustled hard as we do now with sin and doubts and fears. They had the same issues we got. 
we have. They marked the footsteps that he trod. His zeal inspired their breast. And following their incarnate God, possess the promised rest. Our glorious leader claims our praise for his own pattern given while the long cloud of witnesses show the same path to heaven. Father, thank you for these examples of fresh faith. Help us to have our own stories and help us to do whatever we need to do to get unstuck so we can move forward in the things that you have for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing as Ted leads us. Like Pastor Ron said, we're going to sing these lyrics just like we sing Amazing Grace. Give me the wings of faith to rise within the veil and see Once they were mourners, once they were mourners.